All right, everybody. It is a very special Tequila Thursday Woo! on This Week in Startups. That's, That's right. right. That's right. In honor of Adam Newman and we crash, Molly and I pop some Don Julio 1942 with Lon Harris. Yeah. Yeah, we do. And then Lon joins in to wrap up the last five episodes, six episodes of Severance. We get super deep on that spoiler alert galore. Uh, and then we have The Verge's core in Fife joining us to talk about his breakdown. He did a little math of who actually lost followers and who gained followers. And maybe we speculate a little bit as to why uh, after the Elon Musk takeover bid was accepted. Yeah, a little tequila fueled data science like you do on every good podcast. It is going to be uh, the episode of the year, I think. So, um, crack open a Don Julio 1942, whatever your bag is, and stick with us. This week in startups is brought to you by Open Phone. As a startup founder, a lot of mistakes are easy to roll back, but using your personal cell phone number as your company number isn't one of them. OpenPhone makes it easy to get business phone numbers for you and your team right on top of your existing devices. Visit openphone.co slash twist to get 20% off your first six months. LinkedIn Marketing. To redeem a free $100 LinkedIn ad credit and launch your first campaign, go to linkedin.com slash thisweekinstartups. And I trust Capital. Did you know that you can invest in crypto through your retirement account and still get the same tax advantages as a traditional IRA? Visit itrust.capital slash twist to start investing today. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Thursday, Thursday, your favorite day of the week for this week in startups with the exception of Sunday school, Boomer on Friday, five for five Fridays, Tuesday, we live in the publics. Other than the other days of the <laughs> week here, we know Thursday is your favorite day because Lon Harris. L-O-N-S on Twitter is here. Lons is here. I made it. And we Lons. are started. Lons is here. Lon Harris, of course. Uh, people famously know my uh, failed startup, Mahalo, which then pivoted to <laughs> my very successful startup, Inside, which I extended Lon's options on. So hopefully yeah. I can get Lon his options, um, make good on his options there. Uh, Inside's doing really good. <laughs> I mean, after after we crashed, I'm uh, a little little, yeah. little nervous. I, I'm gonna, <laughs> a little nervous. I'm going to hold off on buying that new Birkin bag for now. Yes, yeah, buy the Birkin. Yeah, Never get the off Birkin. the bus without a transfer line. <laughs> yes, exactly. I don't know what that means exactly, but it just I used to always take the transfer in your hand before yes. you make a move. Yeah, got it. I love yeah. that. Is that like an Ari Gold? That feels like Ari Gold on Entourage. I, I mean, yeah. I got it from my boyfriend, but I love it. Uh, I think it's a sales thing. Like, it's a, you know, it's a sales. You don't get off the bus without a transfer. don't leave one opportunity unless you have the second opportunity secured. And for people who don't know, on the public transit system in the, back in the day, they would give you the second bus ride free if you had to take a transfer. So you get on the bus in Brooklyn and, you know, take you west. Now, if you needed to go north, you could get a transfer. They would pull a little sheet of paper and they'd hand it to you. That was your transfer. Yeah. So you don't have to pay a second time. Yeah. That, that <laughs> exists out here too? Yeah. I think there were the, the I mean, it's an antiquated thing now, but yeah. I believe the bus transfer was a nationwide concept in, in, in its day. Yeah. And if you I get off without a transfer, it. then you have to pay again. And right. it, it, it applies to, to obviously- ride. Don't leave one opportunity for another until you have the paper in hand. But also, don't make big moves until you're locked. Locked. Yeah. Okay, locked. here we go. We are uh, doing our This Week in Streaming 
segment. Molly, what what do we have teed up for this week? I think it's like the fifth week we've done this. There'll be yes. some lights. There'll be some light spoilers here. It, you can hear this stuff and then go back and watch the show and not have it ruined uh, in some cases. But if not, you can just fast forward, you know, 20 minutes into the show. Yeah. If you are still if watching Recrash or not Severance. Severance, then you probably want to skip ahead. Yes, because right. it is because a we're puzzle going show. Yeah, all I was the way say through. the other shows are like kind of based on a true story. It sort of mm-hmm. doesn't matter, you know, ultimately mm-hmm. what happened to Theranos or WeWork. Right. You're not going to want to know what happens to Lumen. That's that's uh, yes. Full spoiler warning for that one. So today we're going to discuss the We Crashed finale, episode eight, the one with all the money, very friends uh, titling. And then we're going through five episodes of Severance, episodes four through nine. And I may or may not have watched episode nine at 730 this morning. I did. That's how how the channel is through to the freaking wire on your bike. I was going to watch it on the bike. And then I was like, I can't. I it's I I noticed the wet hair. I noticed the wet hair. Yeah, And then I was like, like, I got You're racing to the, the racing plumbers JP here doing electrical. I was like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay, so I think we start with we crashed. Yes, uh, because it's one, uh, and so and we Ron, have crabs. While mm-hmm. you queue up the episode, uh-huh. <laughs> I will have a ceremonial Don Julio. We're gonna we pour all, one we out our, for we the all got our Don Julio. We all the have good our stuff. Don Julio. The good stuff. good stuff. The good stuff. You take the bottle, Lan. Take the bottle. <laughs> yeah, they, you keep that. You keep that. Disney you keep stuff. that. No, it no, is no, you a... sip, you sip. <laughs> you sip, Lon. We're just, we're, by the way, this is where we do need to tell uh, everyone who's listening. It's 1022 a.m. Pacific. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, we are pouring ourselves uh, uh, a fine. Oh, do you get fine... the smell off that? Hold yeah, on a second. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's what am I getting vanilla-y. here? Vanilla-y. I'm getting a little vanilla. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm so, I, I feel like orange, people just make those clothes. up, don't they? I, I went, I... Uh, an ex, an ex girlfriend got me a a year's membership to a whiskey tasting society when I was living in downtown LA, and this mm. was what the whole thing was. They would just pour everybody a little bit of whiskey, and people would mm. sniff it, and they would make up the most ludicrous. They'd be like, "I'm getting a little hint of sawdust. I get old tire. Uh, maybe I'm getting maybe gunpowder. I mean, people just making up crazy things that nobody um, smells. I'm getting hundred dollar bill. Some I'm red ripe uh, tomatoes. Like you're not it. getting red ripe tomato. It's butterscotch and some, caramel. That's what you smell in whiskey. I'm getting some early childhood well, trauma. Also, oh, not bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, people I'll are asking, some- is this 1942? It is. Jason sprung on. The, the top of the line. I don't know if this will come up on my 1942. microphone. Did you get that? Beautiful. Such right, good Foley work. Uh, I think I got a nice pop of the Don cork. Julio. It's Adam Newman. ASMR. So good morning, everyone. <laughs> good stuff. You okay, bye, good bye, stuff. bye, 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 Will it be terrible if I like pour this in my coffee after I? No, I'm not doing that. Don't be ridiculous. Oh, so degenerate. Don't be ridiculous. Chicory? Coffee? Exactly. (laughs) So we're double fisting coffee. Uh, So um, I guess a color. Yours is like a Mm. bourbon. I think a toast is in order here. A toast. um, Here's to Lon Harris joining us for an amazing season of We Crashed, to Jared Leto, uh, to Anne Hathaway. Incredible performances, Incredible. and to the Newmans for securing the bag, and for Masayoshi-san buying the house I'm in right now with my Uber shares 
And Alex Newman's G650. <laughs> we love you, Masa. <laughs> if our companies can't IPO, they can Masa PO to Masa. To Masa. To Masa. To the crazy man. Oh my God, oh, so wow. smooth. It's incredibly smooth. Oh my it Lord. Barely Hold even... on a second. Adam Newman's a genius. Oh my Are Lord. You me? It barely this even tastes like you're drinking alcohol. I've never really wow. had anything this like it. This tastes like the best iced tea I've had in my life. I don't, I'm not regretting having this for breakfast. It's just so. Yeah, no, this is it. it wow. I'm, I, you know, I usually like a, like a rye whiskey. That's kind of usually my drink of choice. And that. It's almost purposeful, a little this is like spicy. Handy, this is, yeah. This is the opposite end of the this spectrum. This is no joke. It's like a caramel. This is amazing. But there's a, and then you get the burn later. You get a just little to, bit of heat to yeah. really, but it's like in the best. It's like a hug. Is it a burn or is it more like sitting next to a nice toasty campfire? No, it's a little, oh. it's just a little bit of heat. It's not a burn at all. A little bit of heat, no. It's more I like a like... Mexican chocolate or something. Mm -hmm. You oh. know when you are uh, sitting by the fire and you're, you're just a, you're just close enough to feel that warmth. Maybe it gets a little too hot when you put that extra log on. That's what yeah. I'm feeling on the aftertaste. I mean, I'm I don't feeling have a fire. Masa of... has yet to buy me a home, so I don't have a fireplace yet, but one mm. day, one mm. day. Oh, well, I have six here, so far mm. too. Um, <laughs> so in case you missed it in an earlier episode, the reason that we're splurging on the Don Julio 1942 for the uh, end of watching We Crash is because mm. that is the huge, tall bottle of tequila that they're constantly popping open and splurging from, and it is one of the many things mm. that the bankers come in and question when we work yes. tries to go public yeah. because it is not an inexpensive bottle of tequila and they were passing them around like coca-cola they were basically like for them don Juli 1942 was their version of like what is the sparkling water called LaCroix? i was gonna say lacroix yeah, it, it was their lacroix <laughs> Listen, lots of founders are loosey-goosey with their personal phone numbers. They put them on company documents. They use them for sales calls. And that's terrible because it makes everything so messy. You don't know who's calling. Is it a sales prospect? Is it somebody from your kid's school? Well, Open Phone is here to create business phone numbers for you and your team. It works through an app on your smartphone or your desktop. It's very simple. You pick a number, you install the app, and you're done. There's no need to carry two phones. And here's a list of features I know you're going to love. You know when you create that shared email, help at companyname.com? Well, you can do that for a phone number. You can just create a phone number that's shared by multiple employees. They can field all the texts coming in, all the calls coming in, and you can look like a super professional, responsive organization. And if somebody leaves the company, they don't take the number with them. Maybe they go to a competitor. Oh, what a disaster. So... Here's your call to action. Open phone is already affordable at a starting price of just $10 per month per user. But Twist listeners can get an extra 20% off any plan for your first six months by signing up at openphone.co slash twist. And if you have an existing phone number with other services, well, open phone can port them over for free. So I want you to head over to O-P-E-N-P-H-O-N-E dot co slash twist today. <laughs> LaCroix is like four for a dollar. And, you know, like hint water is like two for a dollar and Don mm -hmm. Julio is one for $220. I think. What do these bottles <laughs> I, cost? I love I that it, it does. About it that, takes on, my son looked it up. I think it was like, it's like 150 to 200, I think, depending mm. on where you, where you mm. shop, where you shop around. I looked it up. 
I looked it up yeah. when I found you it. You did look one. You're that guy? <laughs> Are you that well, guy? You get a gift. Know, you want to know, you know how much you're loved. I, I understand. I want to know how much. Yeah, I want to know what I I'm getting. I did that when Chamath sent me a 50th birthday gift. He sent me like a case of my favorite Italian dessert wine, mm-hmm. uh, which he introduced me to, and which is not cheap. You know, it's like probably 400 bucks, 500 bucks a bottle. Yeah. But it's not outrageous. And then he sent me like a collection of six bottles, all from 1970 that his sommelier did. Wow. And when I wow. say like these bottles are worth thousands of dollars, they're worth thousands of dollars each. Yeah. And I'm sitting there with these five bottles and I'm just like, I, I've never opened a bottle of wine over a thousand dollars. I mean, not even over $500. And now I've got, <laughs> s- I had a Latash, uh, a friend of mine from Hollywood gave me, um, a Jim Brooks. Uh, and that was very nice of him. Uh, Gave me a Latash. And I was like, Jim, this bottle of Latash is, you know, Jim Brooks, he created The Simpsons. Long. We all know Jim Brooks. Yeah, yeah, yeah we, we, got, so, we got it. Did we not? Did we not? terms of endearment. Did we not? Like, I know exactly. We're doing this segment, I'll tell you the story. News. We didn't drop the mic yeah. enough. Yeah. So, or, yeah. I, this is, this is the story. What? Wow. Uh, there so is. I'm at dinner. I, I, I'm, I'm uh, Jim Brooks and have dinner uh, with our ladies. And uh, we're in. I'm in Nantucket, uh, and he's like, oh, you're in Nantucket, I'm, I'm in the vineyard, let's have dinner, we have dinner, beautiful. It turns out, in, I guess, Massachusetts, where these islands reside, you, you can't bring your own bottle of wine to the restaurant. He had brought this beautiful bottle of Latash, and I said, oh my God, how did you acquire those? He said, oh, it's a good story, like in the 80s, you know, I made a little bit of money doing some shows or whatever, and I really got into wine, and uh, this was one of my favorites, and I just happened to have bought like 10 cases of it, and... um you know, it didn't cost anything in the 80s. And then it, I happened to hit it. it you know, like he's, he's a hit maker. So he, he knows how, how hits work. And he just happened to have bought low and just happened to be sitting on all these bottles of Latash. Wow. So the sommelier comes and, oh, you, Mr. Brooks, you know, they know who he is, yada, yada. And they won't cork the thing. They say, oh, you know, in, in Massachusetts, we're not allowed to do this. So Jim goes, I understand. <laughs> we would be, you know, absolutely. We can put it on ice. Uh, we can put it in the refrigerator for you to maintain it. Of course, we understand this is like a fine bottle of wine. There's no bottle of wine here that matches us in the restaurant. We apologize, but we have some other bottles that might be to your liking. And he's like, yeah, no, I know. But, you know, wing, we don't wing, have to have the bottle wing, at wing. the table. You could bring us four glasses of your best house wine. Yeah. You know, like, because he's been through this before. And sure. he's like, don't worry about it. They'll just <laughs> open it in the back. They'll put it in the decanter. Brooks, you know. I see, and he says, like, you could... You know, maybe you could put it in the decanter and we could decant one of your other bottles of wine. You could charge me for something similar on the menu. Yeah, he's working it, like, because we want to open this bottle. And, um, you know, the manager comes out. He's like, listen, Mr. Brooks, I'm very apologetic. We would love to do that for you, but we could lose our license and we cannot do that. He's like, I understand. I'll take great care of you. You know, I'm fine. And he's, he's like in shock. <laughs> yeah. And he goes, I can't believe it. This has happened to me, you know. Because the manager really means it. before. And they always yeah. just take it in the back. They do this and then you're, you're good. Yeah, yeah. Well, what do they think? James Brooks works for the Massachusetts hey, Liquor precise, Board. Precisely. He's there to bust them. And so. Uh, <laughs> I, took, I took a few days off from producing the most Jim popular Brooks says to me show the last to three shut decades. this joint down. Yeah. <laughs> Jim Brooks says to me, Jake Howe, here, you take it. At the end of dinner, we order another bottle of wine. Yeah, sure. He goes, Jake Howe, you enjoy this. But he, 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 and I don't know why. And he says, I just want to let you know. This is a very special bottle of wine, like for, use it for your anniversary or something. You know, I brought it for, for us to share. We had had some, you know, nice uh, business wins together. And um, I get home because I had a, like a rented a, like an Airbnb for two weeks and my, my parents were there. My dad is, uh, you know, a sommelier. He, he was a bartender who became a sommelier. And oh. it's like a big deal for him, my success, you know. 
And, uh, you know, I always feel very gracious uh, for my dad, you know, and he, he, you know, especially my mom more than my dad, but my dad's still a great guy. Uh, and my mom did most of the work, but putting that aside, <laughs> I come back to my dad and I said, oh, look, Jim Brooks gave me a bottle of wine. My dad goes, let me see it. Puts on his glasses, old man glasses. Uh, uh, <laughs> arguably the best bottle of wine on the planet. Best year. <laughs> um, can't get these. This is arguably best bottle of wine you could buy in uh, 2018. Not, that, this is the best. I'm like, really? He's like, we should open it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I said, no, oh, dad. I got, good job, Dad. I got good my job. computer. It's a $5,000 bottle. Of wine. I'm like, <laughs> it, Jim know. Brooks paid two. He told me he paid like $150 a bottle. Nobody wanted wow. Latash in the 80s. It wasn't a thing. Yeah. He paid like $100 a bottle. A guy keeps winning. It was hilarious. So that's my, my Jim Brooks story. Hopefully, I'm did not you, speaking out of. Um, but I mean, Jim Brooks is an incredibly generous guy. And I, you know, I've, I think if you're a success, would be generous. That's why I sent you guys the bottle of Don Julio. Um, and if they have those, by the way, just in the spirit of generosity, if um, they have those little airplane bottles of um, Don Julio, can we send one of those each to our producers? One to each to our producers of those airplane bottles. I'm joking, producers. You're doing a great job. You have to deal with me. Uh, uh, producer Nick, come on air for a second. Do me a favor, producer Nick. He's not even producing. Not even. Right now. Not even producer. Or any other producer. He's producing a thousand things. I'll tell you. He's like, what any other producer come on air? Okay, there here he we is. go. Oh, there we all are, yay! Uh, I feel like I'm a, now, now I feel like a true uh, horrible human being because I got everybody on air, uh, a Don Julio, and certainly the on-air talent is more important than the producers, but the producers are still very important. <laughs> Nick's uh, like, I'm very, out. Very <laughs> it's a joke, it's a joke. Nick, do me a favor, can you send one of these to each of our producers, okay? Look at that. Including yourself, yes, please. Yay! Look at that. Anything about Nick? Nick needs to, you know. We'll Come see on. His, I'll read his TPS report. I'll read are his they, are they all, are I'll they put all that on my twenty-one Dibby. and over. Is this, I'm looking at some of these faces. Well, you know, these, me, I always uh, like to invest in young talent, like it, you were one is this day. Legally drinking, uh, legal drinking age. Everybody, I, I'm pretty. Okay. I, I, I trust <laughs> me as uh, Nick's uncle. I know he's of age. Uh, Justin with the mustache and Rachel, not so sure. Uh, <laughs> but she just close. said in Very the chat big, yeah. it, honestly once you get to 40 you guys will see this everybody between 15 yeah. and 65 it's, looks the I'm same age you so can't mad just now I'm so, so let's, mad uh, you just can't I'm tell. drunk I had two sips for this. <laughs> we had two sips I know exactly. <laughs> but can we, send a, can we send a Don Julio get yourself some Don Julio get, get yourself get, get these kids some Don Julio they're gonna, you yourself. kids are going to enjoy this they're good stuff for the, for the producers it really is it's not a joke I mean not even going to lie it's delightful it's really good, I, and it what? is. It is like you. You could drink this in the morning. I, I don't mean to suggest we, everybody we become an could, alcoholic. We are, and, but, but I mean and, it's. And, I'm glad it's an easy. It's an easy drinking morning beverage for sure. Like, really, you really could put I've it. I've never drinking alcohol before noon. Is the first I don't time think I life. have either. One time for marketplace, and it was oh, a similar on, kind ever, of like a stunt thing. Ever well brunch. Yeah. Exactly. And in the show, Adam I'm Newman all, that gets doesn't shown. Count. Getting drunk at ten thirty at brunch is totally different. Day. <laughs> just and just a little note for those of you paying attention, you know, during this golden age of television. In episode two, Adam Newman gets shown the nineteen forty two from Rebecca Newman's dad. Right. Yep. And that is part of him starting to live the good life. The dad, of course, <laughs> winds up going to jail Ooh, for being yeah. a fraud. 
Mm-hmm. Which was a She's great a moment. Char- I mean, that feels like a lifetime ago. I felt like I've lived with these characters for 10 years. I know. Seriously. Well, so, okay. So speaking of which, let's yeah. talk let's about the track. finale let's because this is really. Yeah. We crashed. We have, mm. uh, we have taken this journey. We all knew it was coming. Mm. And yet, mm. how did we all feel watching them have it all seemingly mm. nearly ripped away? Hey, Tom Eschbacher is here with us again. He's a senior sales manager at LinkedIn Marketing Solutions. And we're talking about their amazing report today in startup marketing, as well as how to use LinkedIn to grow your startup. What are some tactical things, not big picture strategy? I'm talking tactics that founders can do today to figure out product market fit. One of the big tactics we see here is amplifying organic posting with paid advertising. You consider a startup that raises a seed round. They post the news on their LinkedIn page and see a bunch of likes, clicks, and follows come in. They follow that then with some updates about product, and they see continued traction with, for instance, HR benefit managers at tech companies that have fewer than 500 employees. That's a signal, and it becomes important to then get a larger sample. And to increase confidence, we've made it super easy to identify which audiences are engaging with your organic content, your LinkedIn company page, your website and then extend reach into those segments with our best-in-class B2B ad targeting. So for early-stage startups who amplify organic with paid, we see a 13x lift in unique reach. And those are meaningful insights to help inform product and go-to-market strategies. Such a great strategy. Head to linkedin.com slash thisweekinstartups and get the report now so you have an edge on your competitors. And as a little pot sweetener, $100 off your first marketing campaign thanks to Tom and the team at LinkedIn. Go get that report and get the hundy. Lon, did what, you feel sorry for them or were you like, oh, I, thank God? I felt like they were, they were playing a very interesting game. I fe- It felt like they knew that they needed these characters to have a comeuppance. Like we all know in the real world, like you <laughs> can act like Adam Newman. You may lose your company. Not everything may go your way, mm-hmm. but you're not out on the street. Like it, there was no way this story was ending with uh, a completely ruined Adam Newman who right. will never have a company or drink uh, Don Julio ever again. Right. So you got to like let your viewer feel that sense of there was some justice. This story has an ending that I feel satisfied by. These characters have on some level, they get their just desserts. But while acknowledging the reality that they're going to be fine, they'll, they'll they start another have company. They'll, dollars, basically. They're already, they, you know, they were already well off or financially comfortable. They'll they'll be fine in perpetuity. Uh, so I thought I thought they handled that about as well as you could. You ended mm-hmm. on this embarrassing moment where they're in the Red Sea. Oh, the salt. And they, they've just found out that they're not going to get their huge payout like they thought they were. Because Masa, Masa gonna, decides. He's going to fight decides. them on it. point is right. COVID happens. And Masa, they didn't explain that. But Masa agreed to the payout. And then Masa says, you know what? Things aren't what they seem. And the world has changed. I'm going to hold the payout. Mm-hmm. But the punchline to that, if you watch the Andrew Ross Sorkin bookend the great interview mm-hmm. he did um with adam newman after we work went public is that in fact the company did go public adam newman had owned 30 percent, and you know he winds up uh, you know with over a billion dollars and is a board observer so he negotiated the ability to stay an observer and remains friends with masa yep yeah he and did that, say that is a very interesting unique um i think bookend to this which is when we contrast with elizabeth holmes who was committing an actual fraud right and uh, is going to jail and is guilty 
when we look at Adam Newman, I think he's guilty of uh, losing his mind, thinking he was mm-hmm. a god, uh, being insane, but being a crazy entrepreneur who actually did nine build $9 billion in actual value. And the company is actually paradoxically or perhaps ironically, I'm not sure which word applies here perfectly. Uh, the company is perfect for a post pandemic world and hybrid work yeah. where people. So his vision of the we community actually is even more reinforced in a post pandemic world, which I thought was a fascinating, uh, like yeah. I said, you know, closure. Um, I mean, some they, people were not happy with the ending that they got paid. Well, I, I mean, I feel like the show is very much trying to have it both ways on some mm-hmm. level. It was, mm-hmm. it's doing what you're saying. It, it, it is showing that like, look, Adam Newman, personality flaws, lots of them, lots of insight into why he, these decisions were wrong. All these things he got away with doing the culture he created that was not really healthy. And they gave OT Fog Benley, uh, Cameron Lautner, that great speech about like, we're not here to reinvent human consciousness. We're here to build a office sharing startup that's going to own a real estate price. and it's yeah. a job and it's a company and it's a business. And I want to work hard with all of you on building that business. And so they get to have that moment where they're like, look, all of this, you know, new the grounding, age, the reset, right. mm-hmm. All, mm-hmm. all of this was really just kind of rhetoric and it was all kind of talk and it was really just a way to kind of manipulate people in this situation. Mm. But at the same time, it doesn't. You're right that the show is not depicting Adam Newman as a Elizabeth Holmes level. This was just all pure fabrication. It, it is showing that at, at heart, there was something to this concept. There was something that this company was you building. Land, Molly, yeah. on the fraud visionary spectrum here, uh, out of control, narcissist to fraud spectrum. I mean, I I think that the finale does a good job of. I'm glad that sort of toward the end, they brought in these employees to sort of make them the avatar of the people who got screwed by this. Like, I think there was real value in showing that. And it it takes the the even the moments when you are tempted to sort of feel bad for Adam Newman losing this company in such spectacular fashion and being forced out. You don't feel that bad because they're still sort of awful and people who put a decade into this. And and I know that there's the the version of this. It's like, you chose to work there, right? You chose mm-hmm. to work there and you never know and startups fail and blah, blah, blah. I don't care. They put in 10 years of their lives. They took less pay. They thought they were going to share in the success and they didn't. And so like, I thought that was pretty valuable in terms of a, a lesson. But yeah, I agree with you. It falls a little flat to have them sort of it's nice to have them embarrassed in the Dead Sea with salt in their eyes. And, and it's funny. And actually, real Adam <laughs> Newman did confirm in that deal book interview that there was a moment when they sincerely thought they were going to walk away with nothing. Yes. Like he did say that that he sort of he claims he didn't watch it, but he also sort of confirmed that scene where she's like, it doesn't matter if we lose everything. And we we go still to have each other. We're right. the family. And we yeah. go to mom and dad's house. So he does say that there was a moment when they thought they were going to lose everything. I don't, it's still a little bit of I mean, comfort because like, because they didn't at all. <laughs> I don't really, like, I never thought, even I was following this story in real time. And yeah. it, even me, I was never like, oh, Adam Newman could no end way. up with nothing. Like, obviously no that's not going to happen. <laughs> he'll, he'll have his golden parachute in some way or another. They always do. Uh, yeah. But I did, but I did think, but you know what? Like, dramatically, 
it, it is satisfying. They play that scene really well. Mm-hmm. You do feel like, well, at least these two for a moment realize how ridiculous they are. And we reveal their hypocrisy that they're saying, oh, it doesn't matter. And it's just money. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 our love is what matters. But they would be absolutely devastated to lose this money, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, money. Uh, Sherry Stringer Pulp's. Oh, I forget their name. The, this was directed, I thought, really well. The finale by the same duo that did American Splendor. You guys remember that movie? Oh, yes, of course. Mm, American Splendor I'm going to look them up. Uh, American Splendor is fantastic. Yeah, film. Robert Pulsini and Sherry Springer Berman were the duo that directed the finale. They also did the movie American Splendor. They did one for Netflix last I, year called that, Things I Certain I saw that at They're um, great. Sundance. That was yes. Paul Giamatti's. Right. Was that his Harvey breakout Picard. role? Yeah, as uh, yeah. I mean, it was, it was, I mean, he'd already been pig vomit in private parts. Yes. He'd had a few other a big, big roles. Part, yes, yeah, but that was like him starring in it. It's a great movie. It's about uh, Harvey Pekar, who wrote those classic uh, mm. indie comic novels. Books. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, I think we can all agree, like a pretty satisfying end. Mm. Great performances all around. Good yes. series. Yeah. I think I would, this might be my favorite Jared Leto thing. Yeah, like I, he, he's not a guy absolutely. I usually look out for, but I thought he was really good in this. I I'm like saw sold. Morbius, and <laughs> I kept Morbius. seeing Adam Newman in Morbius. I actually enjoyed Morbius. <laughs> I know. Really? I can't wait to see that. I, I love actually that. enjoyed it because it's like our movie. Very, yes, please. It's, he, you know, his performance in it is good. And um, I, I just thought it was like an interesting, you know, non-traditional MCU film because it didn't have like the wisecracky, you know, banter kind of thing. More right. was a little more dark and somber. And yeah, I, mm-hmm. I kind of felt like they are building something interesting in that Spider-Man. They're definitely uh, trying. And the we, Moon got, we got yeah. Madam Web coming. Bad Bunny just got uh, cast in El Muerto. There's a lot. Well, going they're doing on. the Sinister Six. I guess is going to be the. Oh, they're they're trying. They're throwing everything they're, at the wall at Sony. Yes. They need they need some hits. They got Ghostbusters. They got Jumanji. They need some more. They yeah. need some franchise. Don't ever we give up that Spider Man. <laughs> yeah. And Seriously. It, and, it, and it was all based on the uh, Wondery podcast. So congratulations to them for making great. Great IP, great IP uh, yeah. for all of this. Well done. But one more before we before we move oh. off. I just I do want to shout out Campbell Scott as Jamie Dimon in this was so good. I love good. that guy. He was never so raises good. his voice, never like shows an emotion when he gives him the ultimatum in that scene. He's like, sure, yeah. You can say the CEO, let me tell you what's going to happen. That that supreme confidence Ooh. of like a guy who literally owns the world, n- un- yes. totally can't, you can't, n- unflappable, no emotion, nothing has an impact on him. I thought he really, he really nailed well, it. Well, and he you actually phenomenal. can see who has the real power in the world. Exactly. When he gives the 600, when he's like looking for the margin loan and he just offers him 600 million and yeah. mm-hmm. he's like, 600 million you know against the stock and you what you realize is like there are people playing a game above the game yep. and i can tell you like i have experienced in my own life like the, every time you think you've mastered the game you're like oh there's another level you know and like oh and then there's a sovereign wealth fund and oh there's a person who has all this money who has the connection to that and oh yeah they're playing something totally different we're pawns in their game yeah and so I, as yeah. much as it feels yeah. like the employees are pawns then you start realizing the ceo is the, a pawn and then That's you start it. realizing the venture capitalists are pawns <laughs> yeah. and yeah. it's like who is actually you know set it's up an, this chessboard and it's yeah. some finance guy or and they, they capture that very well like as you move up these levels 
the people get more confident. The people get more uh, yeah, unshakable. They're they're not hustling anymore. The hustle is over for them. Yep. Yes. You're and hustling like you realize, for their benefit. You really do realize that Jamie Dimon is the only person in the entire saga with nothing to lose. That he spins out debt as a trap. Yeah. That he can yes. uh, can 100% sit there in that room. Even Masa... At the time that we're seeing yeah. him in this show is in trouble. Yeah, he's, he's the guy who's saying we can't do it. Yeah. Like they won't he's, accept it. And there's no nobody's ever coming into Jamie Diamond's office like we can't do it. No, yeah, he doesn't never. have yeah. that guy. Yeah, it, it is there. It is just such a masterfully done show. Uh, mm -hmm. So kudos to the people who wrote it. Obviously, the performances are easy to love, but I think the writing, the I, I guess pacing is. For me, I don't know exactly what this term means in Hollywood, I can guess. But for me, the fact that I never wanted to look at my phone during the story means to me good pacing. In today's mm -hmm. age, you, you know, you're in a movie theater, the movie's dragging. If it was a streaming show, you'd stop and like you start seeing people take out their phones. That to me is like, hmm, pacing mm -hmm. issue. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably already have some exposure to crypto. Well, did you know you can now invest in crypto through your retirement account? That's right. With iTrust Capital, you can buy and sell digital assets from a crypto IRA. This means you'll get the same tax advantages of a traditional IRA. iTrust Capital has over two dozen of the most popular cryptocurrencies to invest in. And unlike the stock market, you can buy and sell 24 hours a day if you want. The iTrust Capital platform is easy to use, and it only takes a few minutes to create an account. Setting up an IRA is free, and iTrust fees are low. You get a free account and a 1% fee for a crypto transaction. So here's your call to action. Visit iTrust.capital slash twist to start investing today. That's iTrust.capital slash twist. Some disclosures, taxes and conditions may apply. Fees apply. Cryptocurrencies are a speculative investment with risk of loss. iTrust Capital Inc. does not provide legal investment or tax advice. Consult with a qualified legal investment or tax professional. I don't, am I right in that line about pacing and how to understand? Yeah, was this I well think, paced? I think the I think this was really, the, this was a show that, earned its length and like had the right amount of episodes and i think a lot of the time with streaming shows i end up feeling like ah they probably could have made this work with two fewer we probably could have gotten could've out of this six. a little quicker yeah and this one i felt like no i they 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 really paced it well and and knew mm. where they were going and it felt like the right amount i think i think too often we mix up pacing and length like people complain like oh my god the batman is three hours i don't want to mm. watch all that but it's and, you know I, I don't mean to bring up the batman but like it's really less about how long is it and more about, mm -hmm. yes, is it paced it in a way that is sort of slow moving and gradual and deliberate? Or is it like, well, things I think that's a good moving because I severance, gonna say right. that. Exactly. severance didn't did drag for me at many times mm -hmm. and it did feel artistic and slow and methodical and confusing. So let's tee up, if you will, on these the second half. We right. did the first. Yeah, we're we the first three, three and now we're going to do the last six, I believe, because okay. there's so nine total. us through, uh, maybe with a little preamble on pacing and and, the, and right. maybe juxtapose, you know, how this story was paced well, and, and unfolded. Could, if you jump to the final two episodes, I'll, I'll talk about the whole thing, but if you jump to the final two episodes of Severance, they're all unfolding, like one event is happening, and it gives you what in, in screenwriting terms is known as a ticking clock. A ticking clock Got would it. be 
at the beginning of the movie, the guy's like, this bomb is going to explode in 90 minutes unless Got we it. figure mm -hmm. out a way. And then the whole movie, the viewer knows I'm working against the clock here. They're going to run out of time. And it's like, you know, those movies where you would cut back to the, the digital readout as it counts down the minutes until the explosion. Right. And the last two episodes of Severance do such an amazing job of giving us a here's this mission this character's on. He's got to do this thing. It's this limited amount of time. And we're going to watch it unfold basically minute to like minute. Like the movie Speed or like the movie Back Speed. to the Future. Right. Exactly. Right. Speed is a great example where it's like, yeah. You know, there's the, the gimmick is right there. If the bus slows down, it blows up. And so Got you it. as a viewer are constantly like you're that's what creates that intensity of like, I know all they have to do is show that odometer or the speedometer. And if mm -hmm. it's getting near 50, I'm, I'm in because it, it might explode. And I thought Severance really uses that incredible in the last two episodes, especially. I'm only that, cracking up. Because all I ever think about then is The Simpsons, where he's trying to remember the name of that um, The bus movie. that but couldn't slow down. The bus down. that couldn't slow down. So <laughs> episodes four through nine are where we really start to see the whole picture unfold a little more in terms of right. what Lumen is doing, yeah. um, what why various employees might be there, and what happens when the walls start to come down when the, the the thick wall between the two experiences of these severed employees starts yeah. to come down and it gets pretty dark it really does a dark the, yeah, yeah is probably an understatement it's, i mean I think a what, character tries to hang herself it's yeah. brutal it's brutal. It's brutal. Well, you yeah. think you realize I mean, the, the torture, the sheer unimaginable yeah, cruelty of what these people are going this, through. They've created this real existential nightmare in terms of what the innies experience. Uh, you know, like, so we, we, you've got Audis. They're the ones who live their lives in our world, the normal world, and then go to work and they just don't remember what happens while they're at work. And it's the innies whose entire life is just the work day. Endless, and wondering. Work days mm -hmm. after another. And, and yeah, they don't even know. Who am I on the outside? And uh, yeah, and I, I think the show really does dig into what an existential nightmare that would be and like the contours of it and what it would feel like. And I think it's you're invited to imagine yourself in that scenario and how awful it would be. You know, the only interaction you have would be corporate communication or a stolen moment of chatting with a colleague in a, during a break time. You don't have a life, you know. I have a lot of feelings about the corporate architecture here mm -hmm. yes that i would like to share sure. i think that this is uh is the word trist treaty tristy what are the oh, treaties treaties mm -hmm. treaties yeah. is like a like a statement right yeah like, like a yeah. manifesto kind like of a manifesto uh -huh. I, I feel like this is a manifesto on uh the worst of capitalism and corporate culture because they are being indoctrinated uh, to a culture and the culture is told by these weird um you know historical figures in the company and they're in yeah. a hall and they are praised and lauded it's, it's a blend between what we think of as a corporate history or the corporate way of talking about the company and yes. religion like it's yes. it's a cult it's it, a cult. It, it, it dip it and and i think what they're saying is you know hey look you're when you go work at a company you're giving up your life and you're giving up your life and the way they get you to give up your life is through this culture and through this you know ceremony and it is 
modern day religion. In fact, corporate culture borrowed a lot from religion. Hey, what is our mission here? Mm -hmm. Mission statement. What mm -hmm. are our values? When we use those things in startup land, and I encourage people to use those in startup land. I worked on our mission statements, you know, at companies, at companies we've invested in, companies I've created. We Back Builders is our new credo here at launch as an investment firm. And I worked on that. Like, what are we really about here? And, and can I get it down to its essence? And can I get people to give up their lives to then come on this mission? And, and um, that's a commerce decision on one level. People are getting paid for time. But they are also giving up a significant portion of their waking hours, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. the show shows that when they are outies, it's always nighttime. It's always dark. They've given up the best hours of their lives. Mm -hmm. So I think what whoever wrote this might be signaling or their axe to grind. And I don't know who wrote this or what their axe to grind is. It's a, or what it's a relative newcomer named Dan Erickson. Okay. Yeah. I need to meet this guy. Yeah. Uh, I'd love because, to meet Dan Erickson. Let's get him on the show. show. Somebody who knows it. it. Because I think what he's saying is like, be careful who you decide to give your waking hours to. And they would rather, the ideal capitalist society would be for you to not even question or think about this. And it's manifested, I think, brilliantly in the intercorporate or the interdepartment, rather, mm -hmm. right. relationships. Yes. You where they're not, not even supposed to know to one go, another. Yeah. Don't mm -hmm. know it. And nobody's allowed to know what we do in a way. So you know what you do. But then there's Christopher Walken's group and what they do, nobody's allowed to know. And then when right. they meet Optics each other, they're, bre yeah. Yeah, they're breaking all kinds of rules here. And I immediately thought about the disparity between an Amazon warehouse worker and an Amazon corporate worker in Seattle, yeah. Yeah. an Apple store worker and an Apple uh, corporate worker, a Postmates, Uber, Lyft, DoorDash driver, and the corporate executives who are making the software. And they're not allowed to talk to each other. They're two different classes of employees. They're mm -hmm. not, they're in different buildings. They don't fraternize. And it's part of a control culture because if the people in corporate, right, the Apple employees at the space station who are getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars probably on average and who have perks that are absurd, there was a huge disparity. They used to pay McDonald level wages from what I understand, like, you know, nine, 10, $11 at Apple yeah. until they were shamed into hitting 14, 15, 16. And a lot of it has to do with people who work at Apple going to the Apple stores and saying, is this right? Right. Well, and imagine we're, them we're going to money. Foxconn, right? Anyway, like, yeah. And then yeah. Foxconn's another level. Mm -hmm. The people who are in the Apple store would be looking at those folks and saying, well, well we get paid now 25, 30 bucks an hour, whatever it is. We get healthcare benefits. Those people are jumping off buildings. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think right, yeah. anyway, I'll stop there with what the guilt slash realization without a doubt, without a doubt, I started to have watching the show. So to whoever wrote it, mission accomplished. I'm a <laughs> rabid capitalist. And it made me think, what are we actually creating here? Well, and if you think actually, if you draw the parallel between those workers and the we workers, right, the people at WeWork who not who give up their lives and their sanity. <sighs> nice. Who um I had to drink after that? Give it's up their lives and, to and who, who don't leave, right? They don't leave because they are trapped by this idea that eventually there will be a higher purpose. In the in mm -hmm. the WeWork case, it's the payout. Yeah. In the Options. case of Severance, it's the 
waffle party, which we will get to Ooh, in a yummy. moment. Got to talk waffle um, party. Or party. finger puzzles or, you know, these these kind of bland perks. Mm, like melon. it is a absolutely brilliant the egg commentary party. on what and, and even just this idea. Like, sure, there's the selfhood concept, but the, this idea that if you leave Lumen, if you get fired, mm. you die. You effectively die. The innie ceases to exist. Right. When mm. you have your retirement party as your innie, your version of your life is going to disappear forever. Your innie it's never over. comes back. Your Audi would just be your new self. So it is It is weirdly like a death. I mean, I think... I think control what you were talking about, Jason, it, like the, to me, that's the key theme of the whole thing. It's about all of the different ways that Lumen, aside from just the severance concept itself, is in complete control of these people's lives. And by controlling their memories and what they know about themselves, that's so, so much the key to the whole thing. We were talking last time, too, about mood and how so many of mm. the experiments and so many of the things that they're doing are about controlling how they feel or how we can make them feel uh mm. you know their sessions in the break room are designed to break them down their their sessions with uh you know uh, i forget i'm blanking on her miss casey are miss designed casey. to like improve oh. their mood and make them feel well their their dance what is experience the story with miss casey yeah and well, side casey, note that actress was also in dollhouse remember uh, like she has more than once played a character whose basically memory has been wiped and she's effectively yeah. a doll. We don't we don't totally understand this. There's there's a level below the severed floor in Lumen mm. where people go who never leave the the basement. So these are people mm. who don't have Audis. We don't we mm. don't necessarily understand. There's that long dark hallway. There's an elevator mm. that goes down. Mm. And we even heard Dylan in one of the early episodes say he's heard rumors that there's a level of Lumen where it's just innies who never leave. So mm -hmm. a lot like if you go on Reddit wow. where people are losing their minds over the show and there's fan theories everywhere, a lot of people and I'm I'm inclined to agree think on some level the the answer is Lumen is trying to create its own workers. Like they don't have to go find a person in the real world, hire them, mm. convince them to come work there and give them the severed implant. They're trying to just make their own people somehow. Because I think Irving, the John Turturro character, is the clue to the whole thing. Right. Because yes. he's, he's clearly been reset a bunch he's of like times. the rest of them where he goes to work he goes home he's got a home life but obviously there's something screwy going on with his brain because he spends his entire home life i think i know what it is making paintings of this elevator and the blackness, he seems, which he is seems the one that miss casey walks down when they're right. like take her back he to seems the testing to be, floor he's aware of whatever whatever is happening to miss casey i think we can presume at one point also happened to irving mm -hmm. but he's now in the real world so i think the theory would be Lumen is doing something maybe to people who have died. Like, because yes. Miss Casey, we know that she was Mark's wife, Gemma, yes. in, in another so version of her. she's dead and they're bringing her back to life and reanimating her. And or then they both agreed to this messed up experiment for some reason, right? Because we know that he used to work at the right. university where the doctor who is doing the reintegration is held hel hold up. I mean, you can do a whole yeah. like long There's also a strong implication that Mark feels guilt over whatever happened, that he, he's tormenting himself. He killed so maybe her in a he, car accident, maybe, right? They kinda, well, maybe he was driving the car. Yeah, of course he was driving, accident, yes. Yes, of you course. Know, like yeah. something, I feel like there's an element there too. Or where, maybe he he said, hey, let's have a couple of Don Julio 1942s <laughs> and he, he encouraged that or maybe she was going to drive and he had too much to drink, by the way. And one yeah. person, not yet, 
um, one person. It's so smooth. It could it's wind up being the perfect. I don't know why. Yeah. By the way, I finished my Don Julio. I don't Look know if I pulled it out. Yeah. Oh no! Did I you guys mine. finish up? No, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, been, are we doing done. a second Don Julio on Severance? <laughs> are we doing? I mean, that? now it's eleven a.m. Yeah, which I is mean, it's fine. To do the rest of it's my day. It's five o'clock in London, I think I mean, by now, right? All right, totally. here we go. All right, I'm back and I'm rolling. All right, one, back it one up. more, <laughs> one more Don Julio. Here we go. One more Don Julio. The good stuff. Why did I put it all the way over here? I did some. I might be a folly guy now that I think about it. I, now, I got the. I am gonna say. As long as we're having it is a little, a little interlude, if we're going second volume. It's very smooth. You pour. That's a that's a generous pour there, boss. Um, <laughs> I'm a generous boss. I'm that I'm not going to lie. During the last episode, I was actually legitimately irritated. Okay. By the pace. Wow. Like, too, like too frenetic. It's no. It's too slow. It's the opposite oh, of frenetic. I was the like, last yes, really? I the opposite. I felt like that was really? the fastest paced episode. I was, I was annoyed on the edge of my in the middle. The time. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's because I was like rushing to get it done. But the last three episodes to me, I was like, this could have been one episode. Maybe I'm just too impatient. I was like, get after it. And there's no way that he could actually be stretched out that long. And for God's sake, you people don't have time for this. Like, just in the face of modern pacing, I do agree in my love of cinema, cinematography, imagery, which I always really did love in films. Um, I, I did appreciate this in an artistic way, but I, yes, I, if I'm being honest, it did drag at times for me, the series. And I did see that a lot of people were engaging with Ben Stiller saying, you know, like get to the point here. Seven episodes, not nine. Well, all right. I totally well, <laughs> well, okay. like so about artistic stuff, you know, like, I'm like a TikToker. They should make different edits of these movies now. I mean, I know this sounds like crazy. But, you know, we have the extended show for the extended edition of the Lord of the Rings, which is the only one I'll watch. Mm -hmm. But I do understand and appreciate that for some people with shorter attention span, we might want to make, I don't know why they don't do this except for pissing off artists. But if there was a Severance 7 episode version, and then there was a 9 version version, then a person could watch the seven fall in love with it and say what did i miss and then want to watch it a second time i mean Lon, put come on you're telling me that the length of time that heli spends staring at things looking in oh, the mirror so beautiful when I she's looking at the apple walking. store photos of herself as the- i honestly i thought the the final episode of season one was uh. i think that's the best thing ben stiller's ever directed personally huh, i think yeah. that's the the high point well. of his entire filmmaking career tropic I, like the, thunder. I like a lot of his stuff i'm a big cable guy fan from way back tropic thunder mm, i like tropic masterpiece thunder. it's great but uh i i really feel like all it all put together and the way that they it's so relentless the cutting from we're just switching between these from perspectives Mark and helly and yeah and like no no uh, break they're all Chitoro, in the and, and, and Irving, i mean i think Dylan. the helly i mean thing, the unlocks are beautiful they're beautiful yeah, and the the reveals are amazing. But I literally, when I was like, if you say all the words of the atonement prayer, I'm just gonna. Oh, you were going to say all the words <laughs> and, of the. You know, and I, I thought, get it. And I thought it might be that you were stuff. a little bit of cramming for your final term. I mean, I will yeah, acknowledge that, that, that was this that morning. I was like, I would really, I need to walk the dogs. Like, can right. we I just? Turturro, the, the fact that his his almost almost dialogue free we're just following him on yes. this journey Actions, of realization painting. as he arrives at uh, Bert's house, Christopher Walken's house and sees through yes. the window and 
It's heartbreaking. I mean, it's it's really it's, it's really elegant. I thought. Well, and he's in there with someone else, and so you realize that your your wish, your secret dream that Burving was together in real life, they're not. Right. Yeah. But he's that's a mother husband. But that's also they've really created this, and it, it is like Lost in some ways. How Lost created that dynamic of the flashbacks, the flashbacks, yes. the flash forwards, and yeah. that became our way of of learning about these people, and mm. and it was such a great format for like twists and turns that you could jump yes. back and oh you thought this was a flashback but this is actually a flash forward and Mm. i think severance is doing that too they figured out a way to use this gimmick of we see these people's lives out here and their lives in here and everything is a secret from their other version so it's also a secret from us and a little reveal was a secret from each other right and and, you met the person on the island you didn't know their backstory right you we don't we don't know so when jack says kate we have to go back you're like wait back that means the island stuff already happened like a little a little mm. line of dialogue can be a huge mm. revelation and so right. in something like this when you see irving squeeze out that black paint and you go yes. oh that's why he's been seeing inky black paint everywhere or mm-hmm. when you you know like and, and and they they now they can do that so easily now they've built up so much of also, the, lore. the going to the machine room and like twisting the two dials was very reminiscent of lost as well so i think sure. we have to ask oh, yeah. dan when he's on Absolutely. the show the writer how much did lost in this puzzle box kind of impact what? his yeah. mm-hmm. he, he obviously loves the genre and i felt that was a little bit of homage i can't remember lost exactly but there was this a concept of the control room the control room the underground the hatch. it's, it's the hatch. very reminiscent of the hatch where Absolutely. remember there was that one episode where we first go inside Locke has found the outside of the hatch and they're hatch, trying to yes. blow it up and how do i get into this hatch and then you have an episode where you just cut inside and you see desmond yes waking up and doing his morning routine in the hatch and that yeah, was where so you, you know, first like, learned what, what was going on about? in there. Really, mm-hmm. really brilliant stuff. And then mm-hmm. Zach has two more kids. He's a very interesting character. Mm-hmm. Tratoro's yeah. Irving. And I just, you know, I don't know if this is like some sort of Easter egg, but Patricia Arquette has Harmony. Yeah. Amazing. Her name is Harmony. Harmony Cobell. Harmony and she's Cobell, trying yeah. to keep all of this chaos together. Together, mm-hmm. yeah. And her mm-hmm. name is Harmony. And I get so, it. did yeah. you notice what? that the town they're in is also called Keir, Pennsylvania? Yes, it and is. Keir is the founder of the grandfather that you get. Keir Egan is the creator of the whole thing. And then the Caligula orgy as as corporate reward. Like what? Think about think about a waffle party though. Like let's break it down. Everything (laughs) that you get is waffle party. Like party. Listen, don't everything that you receive in your waffle party. A waffle party is all the things an innie would never get to experience. You're eating breakfast food, which you you never have breakfast. Mm. You're it's it's served like a dinner. You never have dinner. You only have lunch. You're in a model house. They don't have a house. You're in a yes. bedroom. They Damn. don't ever go to sleep. And then it's it's sexual. And then there's sex. They never, never have sex. sex. So it's 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 a, a waffle party is the reward because it's like here's everything that you miss by never leaving the office, but all at once in there this weird. There is a nursery school thing going wow. on here as well, where like everything to me in their party genre, putting aside the orgy waffle stuff, the, the waffle stuff itself, the melon, the dance party, the lights. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It felt like they're infant uh infantilizing infantilizing thank you 100 yeah because they are in fact babies that they're babies because they have they're learning everything again like they understand certain things like how to use a keyboard but they don't understand other things like what happened in their life so Mm -hmm. they come in and they understand how to do work so it's almost like some set of skills 
translates when you're you, you, right. your basic body functions translate. And you know how to put a suit on. You know how to use the bathroom. You know how to eat melon. Wow. Right. You're but right. And that every food, every perk, as dumb as they seem, like the little puzzles and the it's this something and that, you'd have in is nursery school. new. It's well, it's new. also something you have never experienced because, like yeah. Miss Casey says, I'm only in. My yeah, life like is 107 school. hours and, long. And that's what I think was so wow. amazing to about Trammell Tillman's performance. He's Seth Milicek, the, the, God, the sort of their amazing. supervisor. He's amazing. But he finds this perfect balance between like an unctuous middle management supervisor we've all had at like our first job. And yeah, like a nanny, like a nursery school teacher where he is kind of talking down. Yes. Okay. We're right. going to stay here for 10 minutes because then we got, you know, he does have that patronizing. Tillman is, yeah, terrifying. Yeah. Terrifying. Uh, like the, terrifying. Great, the greatest TV villain really in a long time. it's really confusing that he's so hot too. It's just for some of <laughs> well, us. Well, no, like, he's so nice. He'd be, like a great, he'd be like a great best friend. He'd be a great part of your squad to go. Right. He'd be and a great nursery school teacher. Yeah, game, like, you trust well, him more than Patricia Arquette. Patricia yeah. Arquette seems like the bad guy and he's like the one that's kind of more on their side. And then as the season goes, they sort of No, he's like, an, and he he's becomes, like Goebbels or some SS officer. Like there's yeah. some darkness there. Like, and this whole thing has very sadistic, um, insane pain and suffering and like, prison dare yeah. i say goebbels like experimentation on people right. like well, human yeah. experimentation they're and definitely they experimenting they're on them in some way trying to perfect this severance procedure whatever it is so and to what end we don't yeah i mean that's to that's bring the people big, back to it life seems like to, to roll create out, humanity it seems like to roll out for the whole world they, they want right. everyone we, we know that we know that lumen wants we know that lumen wants everybody to be severed <laughs> and like god damn it <laughs> I try. honestly like I think I may become a socialist he's after sure, this show. Sure. I'm just like give everybody healthcare and UBI. This is not. I mean, if they want to terrorize it, like, uh, let's go UBI. Just let's go UBI. Burn the rich. Let's go. <laughs> That's <laughs> what Squid is, Games was about too. I'm just saying. At true. some point, they all just start playing with us. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely got some of that like warning signals. And like, if you're just understand your options, and we work. The end game in Squid Game or, you know, extreme capitalism may not mm -hmm. work out. Yeah, never I mean, has before. Gamble. Never and has I mean, before. Always leads so, to revolution. Just saying, it's history. It's so fascinating. <laughs> Kelly is really just such an interesting character where it's That's even incredible. to themselves. What a reveal. They're, what even a reveal. Treating, they're even treating themselves as pawns. Like, this other part of me that I can't connect to mentally, ah, whatever happens to You're them is You're not fine. a person. Yeah. I am a person. Like, oh. Yeah, yes amazing and if you amazing. ever cut your fingers or something i'll just end you like I'll i don't know keep you. you alive forever in pain like yeah. they know exactly what they're doing they're all and baby she's goats the boss's daughter dude what a she's reveal Negan, yeah what that was a like, great she wants well, to quit but she's the inherit she's yeah. there was a fascinating it, it when, when Halle first yeah when ha we, we see a this we see a, a very shock, quick actually. clip we mm -hmm. see a very quick clip of Halle. Uh, her Audi about to film that video and she's with Milchik and he's saying it's, this is like episode three or four maybe. And he's saying, it's so great that you're doing this. We're so exactly. lucky to have you here. And yeah. so they, they inserted this idea of like, she's someone, she's Maybe. not just some random they hire. Are, they she's want someone her there. Important. And she mm. is very determined to be like, not just right. determined, you know, she is like, 
keeps on forcing the Amy I've got to make this work, right. I've got to uh, make this work. And also, some one of the reviewers in Vulture pointed out, too, because, you know, I read the recaps of every episode, that uh, whenever Milchik is in there taking photos at one of these perk parties, it's always of her. It's like primarily taking pictures yes. of her. Right. Which was a good note also. Well, made she, that yes, the br- she's the brand. Right. She's a face of the brand. They, they very cleverly like Steve like, Jobs' daughter or something. If there was like going to be yeah. a secession kind of situation here, she's the... It really is interesting how capitalism, bringing up secession, uh, billions, this show, Squid Game. We're, we're really as a society, Lon, I think, struggling with wealth, wealth creation, corporate power, um, and globalization and, and, and our role in all of this and how we exist in this new world order, which, you know, was previously the state and religion would have this, you know, oversized impact on our lives. Uh, maybe you could speak to like some graduate school bull about what this all represents. I feel like a big theme in uh, certainly in, in severance, uh, probably in all the shows that we watch is the, the helplessness that a lot of people mm. feel when faced with these kinds of incredibly mm. powerful systems of control. I know you see it a lot in the, the climate change discussion. I think like, don't look up, I think was, was mm. very much playing into mm-hmm. this same, same feeling that, that if you're an everyday person, you look at, corporate power the financial industry and wall street politics and you say like well how could even if i vote even if i organize even if i join a cause and do activism how can i push back against this this is power and control and i think the, the climate change debate to me really drives this home more than maybe any other discussion that we have that like i can recycle I can drive a Tesla or a hybrid. I can mm. do all those. I can walk instead of driving. I, I can do all those little things that we say. Mm. But yeah. it, but the power of me to do something versus the power of Amazon to make a change or the power of the U.S. government Starbucks, or China yeah, yeah. or Starbucks. Like it's I'm a drop in the bucket compared to mm. the airline industry is but maybe a lot of drops in the buckets could create a tsunami. Exactly. Of That's what I actually I'm not like trying to is say that they threaten you can't her and make she's a like, difference. if we all do it, we can. But sure. I completely agree with you. I think like. There, and also the learned helplessness, the forced helplessness, right? Right. We have I mean, been these told are, these are, these are that we can't intimately. all come together to make this change. We have been told, and as long, and that's like the key to keeping the, the departments apart. Yes. If you keep them separate, I mean, it's very like non-subtle when you think about it, right? It's like, oh, if you keep these groups apart, they'll never organize and rebel against and the overarching power. And your like, employees' memories when duh. they leave the office. All of these are various systems of control. We don't want yeah. them to remember. We don't want them to Divide know these and things. conquer. Divide we want them conquer. to only know the things that we've laid out for them or the things. No. And, and I mean, don't the added it. thing of having Cobell live next door to Mark as Selvig, she's monitoring <sighs> both versions of weird. his life. Yeah. It is all about control on one level and narrowing that perspective and i totally agree with what you're saying molly i'm I'm not here to say you can't make a difference oh no no i'm just saying they they made that point very well right they made that point that it's the key is to make everybody feel powerless and and then they will never rise up i think it's a feeling that's out there a lot of people feeling defeated of people feeling i mean trump made people feel that way if you're gonna if you if you elect this sociopath what who did who said mccain is and not to make it political but you're saying mccain is a not a hero yeah. and that you can assault women and there's no replica repercussions no like, accountability no, no accountability right. and that you know whatever percent of people were on board with that it is i think what makes a lot of people feel like i cannot affect change and 
but of course that is not true yeah. you can affect change and I, if you compare this to the great 60s 70s movement those films the easy rider era was about fighting a different um not corporate interest in that case what you were fighting there was government right so you have uh three days of the condor seven days in may uh maturing sure. candidate like who is right. who are we going up against there the government the secret agencies the power yeah. of government and I mean, a, a lot of those 70s movies were about the moment when people started that it was kind of the beginning of what we're now seeing the end of that was the moment where you know they say america lost its innocence where we started to realize like all of these organizations are corrupt every power that we've counted on is corrupt the cia is corrupt the u.s government's corrupt the military's corrupt Vietnam War. All, all these mm -hmm. systems wall street financial all these corporations and that's where you get yeah you get stuff like taxi driver where it's like yeah, right. we've been abandoned by everybody that we counted on nobody's looking out for us nothing we're matters. all right we're all lost and, then and spinning out in the you know, spiritual ancestor of falling down you know then you start to get this idea of the individual rebellion and freak out god i love thursdays can i just say that's not the don julio talking thursdays <laughs> yeah. are the best <laughs> you guys i, I love you guys i love you guys this oh, one needs to have more Speaking pictures. Should we go out after this? <laughs> we should get some waffles. And we should put the Don Julio on the waffles. Now we can never say butter. waffles well, ever again. Syrup. <laughs> well, we're we're syrup. Did you notice that the waffle, there's so many, go to the Reddit. Reddit.com. So oh, I'm, I'm, so I'm spending all day in the Reddit. Are you kidding? Oh That's where they pointed out. The waffle party, one of those paintings that Optics and Design had, you know, they had those like Renaissance Rembrandt style paintings. One of departments the paintings, fighting each other famously, yeah. The Waffle Party recreates exactly one, like, you know, the yeah. when they're all With in the, the masks and they're doing their, all the their, four furies. They're recreating one of those paintings exactly visually Wait, for Wait, which him. painting? Yeah. There's the a one painting he... of like a goat and a woman and they're doing the same poses as the people are recreating during Dylan's Waffle Party. It's the Dylan's one that Bert and Irving meet over. Like yeah. they meet in the hallway and they're both looking at it outside of the, I'm I know. so in Irving. love with their that love. That was like the best love story I've seen in oh a really God. long time. I, I, I mean, that's just Turturro and Walken. You get Turturro and Walken and they're both just all I, in I on it. I kind of want to series. Ben Stiller, if you're listening. <laughs> they're all in. Can we get, because there's some backstory there with them in the war and I, maybe Totoro's got PTSD or something. I, yeah. There's a to, whole PTSD thing happening here we're too. We're definitely going to get more of Irving's maybe the backstory season two. I think yeah, the severance like was probably originally conceived as for people with PTSD because you trauma. have trauma. It is a trauma. It's about treatment. trauma. Oh yeah, my it's god! A trauma Are you treatment. sure you haven't been in the Reddit? This is exactly not, this is all. It, this is all ripped but from we the Reddit. Should be all right. Speaking no, okay. of uh, ripped Lon, from the, the headlines, enjoy your sheets. You're the greatest. But blur that bed, my friend. Just no. <laughs> I want those sheets by next it's Thursday. What work. are we? What are we going to listen? Watch for next Thursday. Lon, I'm not trying to be oh my gosh. gosh! But Lon, what do we do next? Because yeah, now we finished our tech. Julio's. Oh my gosh! Sixty percent uh, is left. I don't, <laughs> good? I don't think there are start. Unless you guys want to finish Super Pumped, I think we're done with the startup shows for right now. Give us no, something that the, that's sci-fi, futuristic. Ooh. That is that would mm -hmm. it relates to capital. So here's what the show's about: capitalism, okay. startups. We could do a movie. We could just give us something to stream between then and now. I, I mean, mm -hmm. I love the movie The Founder as one uh, which uh, Michael Keaton's in. And we could read the book slash. God, that is so <laughs> do good. The we could do that. Right. The Ray Kroc if, movie. Oh, phenomenal. Ray, I, I think it's book. a great it's a great movie. I really the like that Michael, movie. Keaton, that Michael Keaton movie. I think it's a Michael Keaton like top three performances. And that's a big statement because his performances are man.
All right. Well, we'll figure something out. We'll figure yeah. it out. We'll, There's, we'll, I got we'll a few ideas. Out. What else is we on the top ten? Give me, a, give me your top three. My, yeah. I mean, my my immediate thoughts are entrepreneurship. Uh, we can go. We can go any era. I, I mean, you go with the '60s, '80s. We trust your judgment. Have you watched? This is going to seem like an out of left field suggestion, okay. but I promise it's for. not. The HBO Max series Julia. It's about Julia Child and the creation oh, okay. of her great. show, a, okay. The French Lock Chef. It up. But it's very much a. It's exactly what we were talking about before. We were talking about competence okay. porn, that idea of okay, watching a show that's just about professional Perfect. people who are very skilled doing something, taking on a project. So this okay. is, what if you got a bunch of very smart people in the room mm. and they all know cooking or TV and you say, make up what a cooking show is. Go, invent right. the cooking show. I love show. it. I love product market fit. All right, Lon, thanks for coming in. And we have another guest coming up. All right. Thanks, Lon. We'll see you next see week. You next Hang time. with us, notice. Next up, see you next week. Let's tee up the next story. Go ahead, Molly. Do your thing, Molly. All right. What is happening here? Professionalism. So, I apologize. We for are coming for being so back late. to the reality. Twitter and Elon story. Back to reality. Okay. Oh, okay, great. With a with a hard thump. Twitter has confirmed fluctuations mm -hmm. in followers that came mm. after the Elon Musk deal announcement. Okay. I have my own uh, and has confirmed that in fact they were organic. They did okay. not necessarily appear to be a big old box. That was situation. my theory. What was we my theory, Molly? I know. So we brought on someone today who actually fact-checked this what? and did a breakdown. The Verge did a study. We're joined by the study's author, Corin Fife, who is extremely patient. Corin, thanks, thanks so much for coming Sorry on. Sorry about that. We were geeking out to We're going to have to send you some tequila. I think that's the only way to yeah, remedy this situation. Do you drink? Do you like a beverage? No problem. I will, I will accept tequila in reward. However, you have spoiled the show Severance that I haven't oh, yet no. seen. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Well, uh, can we send a Don Julio now? We really yeah, yeah, you need a Don Julio. Corey, yeah. um, your your bona fides. Uh, I believe you are a uh, what they would call a data reporter. Explain maybe your background there. Uh, yeah, sure. So I'm a, a data reporter. Uh, well, in fact, currently I'm at The Verge. I mostly cover cybersecurity and privacy news. Uh, previously, I was at a publication called The Markup, uh, which is really oh, yeah. specializing in data journalism, investigative journalism around. Around data journalism, yes. Uh, yes, exactly. And so I've done a lot of research previously into social media, uh, mm. social media algorithms and how they impact the way that we see information, who mm. sees what, how it's received, um, that kind of thing. All right. So we saw these crazy jumps happen. Everybody... Like I saw Jim Jordan was like, oh, Elon Musk has changed the rules and therefore we now get followers. And I was like, okay, Jim Jordan's dope. Um, he doesn't understand that Elon's offer isn't even accepted. He has no functional uh, role at Twitter. He could affect no change. I mean, he can talk about Twitter, but he's not, he doesn't own the company yet. That's going to be three, six, three to six months from now. But I did see on my podcast feed that Ben Shapiro, Joe Rogan, and every other podcast in the world is covering this and if ben shapiro is covering this and he's the number one pod one of the top podcasters in the world i'm not sure where he sits it would follow mm -hmm. that if podcast advertising drives online behavior ben shapiro talking every day about liberal tears i saw the headline was like liberal tears elon must drank them all that's the kind of that activates the right so now the right's going to come in w am i right am i guess that there was the podcast pump uh Corin, what Let's did you see. find I, yeah, what did you when do? you looked yeah, into yeah, this? Yeah. So I was going to say, there's there's a lot to unpack. So I think yes. we're kind of 
jumping ahead if we go straight into why did yes. it happen yeah yeah so okay. let's start with exactly what did you find and report I'm excited. <laughs> i hope that it isn't a spoiler for too many people but i can't really say exactly why it happened mm -hmm. but what we can what we can say looking at the data is we can talk more conclusively about what has happened and, and what okay. evidence there is mm -hmm. for it so so yeah of course um as you say elon musk uh the acquisition of Twitter, there was a really long, a long buildup, a lot of hype around it, um, leading up to this, this announcement. Um, April 25th is when the, the deal was finally closed and announced. We've done a lot of coverage of that at, at The Verge. And, uh, a funny thing happened where very shortly after that announcement was, was made, um, as you said, Jason, a lot of these conservative accounts were suddenly saying, wow, we've got a really big boost in followers. Um, and simultaneously, a lot of other large accounts seemed to be losing followers. Um, so there was a, a, uh, a piece first in NBC News. Um, ben Collins wrote that one where he was talking about some of these really high profile accounts that had lost followers. Um, Barack Obama, I think, lost a few hundred thousand. Um, there are, there were quite a few other examples of, of that. So hmm. there were his initial thought about exactly there, there we go. Mark Hamill hmm. again has, has lost a lot of, a lot Tweeted of followers. It, yeah. Right. So you have this thing where a lot of people, and he's quoting, uh, quote tweeting someone else from, you know, from liberal Twitter saying that she's lost a lot of followers. And then we had a similar thing in a kind of more conservative right wing Twitter of people quoting each other saying, wow, I've suddenly gained a lot. Um, Donald Trump Jr. tweeted a, a screenshot of his follower count having grown 80,000 in a, a single day. Um, and he was speculating, as I think you mentioned, okay, or has some kind of change been taken? Has Elon already, uh, you know, he's taken the brakes off this, whatever was stifling conservative follower growth. So there was a lot of kind of anecdotal evidence that something was happening. There's signals um, of something happening. Got it. And so right, then you sure. were like, let's do some science. And it, it, exactly. I mean, I think I would stop short of, of science because people who <laughs> are really, um, people who are really data scientists would investigating. Jump in. And you I've were like, let's say, do some investigating. Investigating. I'm, I'm happy to call it that. Yes. So, it, you know, it was somewhere in between the anecdotes and the, and the science. Um, something I, I think people sometimes call anec, anec data. Um, ah, I like so. That. We, uh, so we, uh, with some, the help of some colleagues at The Verge, we put together a list of 50, uh, influential conservative accounts, 50 influential, uh, liberal accounts. How'd you pick them? Um, I mean, th this was a fairly unscientific process. Okay. Um, Fair it, enough. It was kind of based on, we started off with a few accounts that we knew saw changes, um, looked okay. at some of their follower lists. We really just said the cutoff is that minimum 100,000 followers. Um, and accounts that have a clear political ideology attached. Perfect. Um, okay. but yes, if, they, if it was going to be a social science study, there would have to be a more concrete methodology than, than that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, we then used a, a service called so uh, Social Blade. It has an API that lets you pull historical data about Twitter followers. So we could see how they've changed over time. So for each of those, um, hundred accounts total, we had, uh, right. Exactly. That's what you see. If you, if you look on the Social Blade, uh, mm -hmm. site, you will see something like this. It's just the, the date, uh, follow account, uh, plus or minus change. Um, and so we had 30 days mm. worth of that data for a hundred of these accounts in the data set. And so um, can and we pull question, that back up a little bit for people who are not watching and we'll describe it? That was, for example, the follower account for Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, his website. And you see that like on Saturday, April 16th, he gained 5,674 followers. 
that number uh, keeps going up. And then we have April 26th, which I think is the day that the deal was announced. He gains 141,000 followers um, and then 64,000 the day after, 80,000 the day after that. So it's a pretty like, that's a pretty obvious trend. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And what we wanted to uh, answer is, is there a consistency in this trend across the ideological groups or is it something that's kind of random? And uh, having put together this list of the 100 different Twitter accounts, uh, we ran the numbers and usually with data science, things can be kind of messy. You don't normally get a very clear signal on this kind of thing. Uh, but immediately it was possible to see from the conservative accounts in our list, 48 out of the 50 had disproportionate gains from the 25th to the 26th of April. So that was after the acquisition. And 50 of the 50 liberal accounts, every single one of them had lost followers over that period, mm. um, which is unusual because the trend really for all of these large accounts is that they just steadily grow in followers. You know, um, as you can see, we, we charted the data and uh, what you will see is that over most of the month, the, the rate of change is fairly consistent. Every now and again, something that will, will happen to give the liberal accounts a bump or a conservative account a bump, but there's a very slow, gradual change. And then the moment this uh, Twitter acquisition deal goes through, there's a very clear and pronounced spike in follower growth for conservative accounts. Um, and then that is matched by a decrease in liberal uh, followers of liberal accounts, whereas previously those accounts have also seen uh, a steady growth. Yep. So fascinating. Yeah. So it was just, so, so you did this analysis. Um, Okay. And it sounds like you don't necessarily want to speculate on <laughs> what might be driving this, um, but it seems like there are a oh, lot of potential spe speculation. Answers, so right? think, part of this. Yeah. Is it speculate uh, time? We can, yeah, let's sure. speculate. Yes. We can, I, I, we can I, speculate yeah, we can. To, to some extent. So if we're going to look at the data, the thing that we can say confidently based on that is that there is a significant change and it seems to be consistent across the ideolo ideological groups. So that's a really interesting finding on its own. Right. Um, people who were speculating that maybe something has changed in the internal mechanics of Twitter, based on what we know about these companies, it seems unlikely that the change would happen that quickly. It seems unlikely. Um, that's not to say that it is impossible, but it seems unlikely that the day Elon takes over, immediately he says, we've got to change this algorithm in a, in a way that boosts conservative follower accounts. Right. So um, it's very unlikely to have been an algorithm change. Is there any way to unlikely. tell whether it's bots? There's an easy way to tell, but Corin, go ahead. Yeah. So I think that with the, with the data we collected at The Verge, I don't think we can really talk about that. Um, for, for someone else, for researchers with access to more data, uh, they might be able to. But one of the things that we know is, is just that there was huge attention to this deal. And it is something that when this acquisition happened, there's a, a kind of a polarization in the response. I think yep. a lot of people who are more on the, on the right, on the conservative side, saw it as a very good thing and have felt for a long time that Twitter has stif uh, stifled liberal viewpoints. Uh, a lot of people more on the left thought that yeah. it is bad to oh, have this yeah. billionaire suddenly in charge of the platform. Um, and it really is possible that a lot of more liberal thinking people deactivated their accounts and a yep. lot of more conservative people were convinced to try a platform that they'd otherwise dismissed. Had written um, off, maybe, right. Well, and we should right. be clear that even if, even if some or many of these accounts that followed and unfollowed were bots, 
that still suggests a shift in what people perceive to be the value of the bots, right? Like if you created a bunch of conservative bots, there was a reason for that too. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. And, yeah. and I think that what will happen now is that we're, we're slowly going to move into getting uh, clearer and clearer data about it. So we started off with the anecdotes. Yeah. Um, at The Verge, we've now done a very preliminary data analysis. And over the coming months, I'm sure we will have people from more of the social science research side of things doing very kind of uh, tightly peer-reviewed studies. Yep. All right. It might be the Don. It might be the Don Julio speaking, but I figured it out. Cause I'm Columbo, you know, like I'm like a dopey detective, <laughs> Corin. You, you know who Columbo is, Corin? I I do, I do. You're aware of it? I don't. You seem like you're like 30 years old, so I don't this know if you know get Columbo. Awesome, by the way, just to be but, clear, uh, it this could is be about the Don to get Julio speaking. No, this please, is about to get space, yeah. tell me, space tell is me red. It's one more thing there, ma'am. You said you had the chicken parmesan on Sunday. That's <laughs> uh, special on Monday. So I just, I, my wife says I'm a nudge. That's my yeah. uh, Peter Falk impersonation. Heaven okay, help anyway, us. If you go to the followers and you look at the actual followers of conservatives and you pull them up and then you scroll down, uh, you will see in the, the followers, I believe, are presented in reverse chronological order of followers. And then you start looking, you will see uh, on this list that none of them have changed their photo, right? They're all the default Twitter photo. That is a tell that it's a new account and possibly a bot account because the bot accounts don't take the time to put photos up because that can also be a tell to get them banned. But anyway, if you actually look at the date in which a lot of those uh, and you just start opening them up randomly, some of them are accounts that were created last year, but many of them were created in April, April of 2022. Yeah. But I mean, and that just for one thing that validates the data. But second, yes. it also does continue to raise this question of why create bots that specifically follow conservative accounts now. Okay, versus very, deactivate yes. bots that follow okay. liberal accounts. Even if it's all, okay. even if it's mostly bots, Truth, it still is a clear yeah. signal about what people I can explain it. Think is going to happen. It's there's the signals multiple, that are being sent. There's multiple things going on concurrently. Is what my belief is. One thing that's going on is the um, conservative podcasting media coverage bump. Media drives online behavior. That's why online. You know, Casper Mattress, Eight Sleep, buy ads on radio, terrestrial, and on TV, and uh, certainly on podcast. If you hear something, if you see something, you then take out your phone and you do an online behavior. We all know this. It's established. You need only look at marketers embracing podcasts or, or network television as the reason. So you put that on as, you know, you're, 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 you, you, you have Ben Shapiro, Tucker talking about this for two weeks to uh corin's point this thing took over the media cycle whenever anything takes up the media cycle i saw this with uber you know this is private discussions amongst people who were investors in uber every time a scandal happened in uber you know what happened we moved up the rankings in the app store the number of downloads went up people didn't make a judgment they just said what's uber i think what's happening is a lot of conservatives are saying what what, what exactly is twitter i've heard about that i should go check it out Oh, yeah, there's some controversy over here. I'm for free speech. Oh, the libs are triggered. It, I'm in. Right. That's that's their benchmark. Ben yeah, Shapiro's clearly. listeners benchmark is are libs tri triggered. And they literally Ben Shapiro sells with his subscriptions to his hundred million dollar a year service. What I understand his revenue is they he sells a Tumblr 
that says liberal tears on it. So you can drink liberal tears and pretend your coffee is liberal tears. Yeah. So that's what's driving the bump. Then this is my next two theories. Okay, ma'am. Could be the Don Julio speaking. I'm too I know. Should we should we let Corin go for the okay, analysis well, part? I don't Corrin, want to put him uh, in an uncomfortable in ten, position as a reporter. Sec- yeah. <laughs> 15 seconds. I'll give him why I think the liberals are losing. Or the bots are, I think people at Twitter, just a theory, who are in the security and teams are saying, Elon's criticizing us about bots. Let's show the new boss or people who want to embarrass him or whatever, or just the public, hey, we're getting criticized. We can't solve the bot problem. Let's solve the bot problem right now. So that means everybody's losing a little bit on the bots, but net net, the conservatives are getting the media bump. Go ahead. So, Corin, from a data perspective, so what are you going to look at next? Yeah. Well, what, do think, what, what, okay, yeah. what do you think about yeah. these theories? Yes. Yeah. So I think there's an interesting question there about the um, the net effects of it, right? There, there is a um, an interesting question because Twitter for a long time has struggled with um, increasing a, a user base that's been very slow compared to some other platforms. Like the, the bigger social platforms are now hitting this problem. Facebook, similarly, you know, there's only so long that you can keep expanding when you've already got billions of people on on the platform. You know, newer platforms, TikTok has come along and had such explosive growth. Uh, you know, that's kind of the now the, the gold standard for a new social media company. Twitter, much as it is uh, very significant for the public discourse, the growth in user base has has been slow. Now that Musk has taken over, there's going to be a lot of questions about what will happen to the, the company. And if he can attract more users and a lot of new users to it, that's going to be a very significant thing. And that's going to be well regarded in terms of his leadership, uh, even if it might turn out that more of those users come from one side of the ideological spectrum. That mm-hmm. might change the nature of what Twitter is as a platform and how we experience it. At the same time, if this is an influx of real people um, and the the number of people coming in outweighs the number of people who are potentially leaving, uh, which is also one of the things that we see in the in the data in terms of new followers, they do seem to outbalance the number of uh, deactivated accounts and lost followers. Um, mm-hmm. There's one way of looking at it that says that's very that's very healthy. That bodes well for the platform. Um, of course, there's another way of looking at it that says if all of these people have conservative values, if all of these people believe that you should not moderate speech and you should be allowed to insult one another freely on a social media platform, it can change the way that we um, we we in- interact with each other for the worse. Yeah. Um, so it's hard to we- say, but I think there are a lot of interesting questions. Yeah. I mean, it, it, what, so what do you intend to look at next? Like, as you sort of continue to examine this and see whether it does actually represent a sea change, because like we do know, actually, I think Pew Research did some um, analysis back in 2019 and found that that without a doubt, Twitter skews more democratic than the rest of the social networks and and even the country. Like the, the users are, like, are younger, more likely to be democratic. And so as you look at what might be a shift in usership what do you what will you examine yeah um i mean i think having done this first study very quickly uh we're interested in looking to see whether the trends hold over the long term um you know will it will it will we continue to see growth for conservative accounts or is there a point where it will balance out where maybe all of the new people have have joined who are going to join and then uh, things stabilize yeah. um beyond that 
Uh, I think the honest answer is, is we don't know. Things have moved very quickly with the Twitter deal. And, you know, we're, we're all kind of, we all have whiplash, I think, to some extent trying to figure out where it's going to go next. So, yeah. um, I'll, I'll keep you, you updated on that one. Corin, can't you tell, <laughs> is it public data, um, deactivated accounts? Cause when somebody deactivates their account, that would cause somebody to lose a follower. So if the theory is we've got this mass exodus of left-leaning liberals, you know, however you want to frame or it. Or their liberal Anti-free speech, right, totally. whatever, however you want to frame it. I'm not going to get into that. But people on the left, I think, would be a way to describe it. Um, if they are en masse turning off their accounts, it would have to be if... Mark, ha oh, I'm sorry, Mark, is it Mark Hamill? Hamill. Yeah, mm -hmm. so he's certainly left-leaning. I follow him. I love Luke Skywalker. If he's losing 8,000 and other people are losing 10,000, it's either bots or it's people actually deactivating their accounts. So that means there's at least 8,000 or more that have deactivated their accounts. If you deactivate your account, you see that. It, you go to the page and it's turned off. So in order for him to lose the follower, it would need to be deactivated. Therefore, right. deactivated is something that's scrapable. So have you yeah. discovered or anybody listening to me email producers at this week and startups and certainly DM Corin? I wonder if developers could just give us a list and I just tweeted it. And somebody just make a list of how many people deactivated their accounts. In other words, in the last 30 days, what accounts were turned off, give us that mm -hmm. list. And then compare it to how many people deactivated in the 30 days before it, we'd actually know what the average month of deactivations is, there must be some baseline. And we'd see if the baseline went up. And then you could look at the delta of that baseline and say, let's actually just do a random sampling, maybe yeah. some yeah. number of them are libs yeah. uh, or not. Yeah, well, I me, mean, uh, Twitter, Twitter certainly has that data. They may or may not decide to release it. Huh. Um, otherwise, that kind of data is accessible through the, the Twitter API, but they're the full unfiltered data set they only make available to researchers because the volume of data mm. is so vast and potentially sensitive that you have to demonstrate that, that you can handle it um, in, a, in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. um, but that that data is out there um and I, i'm sure that it will emerge and it's interesting our, our producers were noting that it looks like about in in your small subset of data three conservative gains for one liberal loss so so if you were looking yeah. at it in a purely mercenary way you would say okay well that's growth right like you you gained yeah. more than you lost so the platform sure. is growing so success conservatives have left uh twitter Right. That was kind of the theory they were going to go to truth and parlor and go find Trump and go find Alex Jones and go find all their whack jobs. <laughs> That's me saying that, not you, Corinne. I know you're a reporter. You keep everything straight down the middle. But, you know, yeah, I think they want to go find the wacky folks. I also think there's chaos agents. That's another thing we're not. There are uh, trolley, 4chan -y developer types who create these bot networks. And Twitter has made it so easy to create bots that they could just be effing with people and they could be just yanking our chains. So you could have multiple levels. You could have Twitter employees taking bots more seriously because they know that's what the new boss wants. You have this bump of media, conservative media suddenly like, oh, we can trigger the libs over here. Our, this guy's on our side. Let's go trigger the libs. You could have some number of liberal people saying, you know what? I'm out. I don't want to be part of this anymore. I was preferring the trend they were going towards with more safety and, and you know, less full contact let's be generous but yeah, yeah. corin super interesting research we You're really awesome, appreciate dude. you Thanks coming on this. yeah please come back you have a voice it, for radio it's amazing do more do more uh, come I, back every day every week absolutely I, I would love to well thanks a lot for highlighting the research on the show um and and uh, follow yeah, corin we'll, we'll txt keep, 
Yeah, we yes. love the numbers. Yeah, follow yeah, at, at Corin, Corin, Corin TXT. Corin TXT on, you got a on book Twitter. in you, kid? You got a book in you, Corin? I feel like you got a book in you. You write a book yet? Um, <laughs> <let's>, <laughs> Jason wants to be your agent. No, not yet. Not yet. Yes. I mean, come on. Well, some book, hey, some book agent here, buy the numbers. By Corin. How do you pronounce your last name? Is it Fife? Fife. 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 Yeah. Oh, five. Okay. Buy the numbers. Corin. <laughs> yeah. Well, if, if you are an agent what's listening. What's the reality? Uh, yes. I, I'd what's love to really talk. happening in social media? Buy the numbers by Corin Five. I just got a good ring to it. Buy the numbers. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Corin. We hope you Corrin will come TXT. back. That's a good reference too, like a .txt file. I like it. It's good because you're a data scientist. Are you a data scientist by trade, or are you just play one at the verge? Um, just, I'm you, a you, I'm a I'm a data journalist. So uh, again, so that people don't shout on me at Twitter about this, you know, I I'm I'm a kind of uh, I'm data savvy compared to maybe the full range of journalists but in terms of data scientists i would be a very a very sloppy one got it got it so we got you got <laughs> nate silver way over here and then but i think it's important for all journalists to learn some data right because there's a lot of opinions everybody wants to talk about opinions myself included but man the data is is really how you learn stuff so i appreciate your work and appreciate you coming on and sorry yeah. we were late don julio on the uh, way no problem uh, yeah pleasure to be here on so the way. thanks for having it's me on the way good luck thanks, with that Gordon. book deal hey book agents let's go Let's go. Slide into Corin's mm -hmm. DMs. He's got a book mm -hmm. in him, this kid. I like it. Be cool, Corin. All right. Amazing. Well done. Uh, He's like, do I go? Can I go? I was like, do I have to I be just, part of this anymore? People don't know, but I was like, hey, Molly, Don Julio's hitting. Can He's you like, help. Help get me. Get this back help. on track. <laughs> She's like, I got your boss. I'm, <laughs> Corin's I like, I don't like know if I'm coming back. I feel like we know who can handle their liquor we'll get, a little bit more. Once he gets to Don Julio, uh, I know, I know you're, you're still chilling, Corin. I mean, this is going to be fascinating to watch. What do you think, Molly? What's your case? This can't? is going to be fascinating we're not, to watch. We're not, we don't have to hit these like journalistic I mean, I standards. Think, we can have opinions. What do you think is really going on? I think you're 100% right about okay. the coverage bump. Like, I think there's Clearly, no doubt obvious, about yeah. that, right? That it's just like, however, there are also very clear signals I think to this audience mm. that this is going to be a friendlier location. And if Elon wanted to clear up those signals, he could any minute, right? But he is, is definitely that wrong friendlier. Uh, well, I mean, there, I think the same Pew research that said that Twitter skews more liberal has also found over and over that like right wing accounts are responsible for massive amounts of disinformation, right? Trump, I think mm. at one point there was a study that said that the specifically the Trump Twitter account was responsible for yeah. spreading like 80% of the disinformation on the web. I, I, that seems directionally just correct Just that to me. one account, right? Yeah, I mean, if he's like, I and think that's just we empirical. should. So do you yeah. want a place where people actually interact and everybody uses it? Mm. Uh, sure. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, you do. But yeah. I would also say like, I cannot, as a even a former journalist, pretend that those signals are not coming from Elon Musk himself. And that of that's why people are, are like, said, this is going to be great. He said both sides are going to be... Uh, he said both sides, but the one he's encouraging upset. is the right. Uh, I don't know. I, I think it's good for business that everybody be on the platform is probably the best. And on a freedom of speech basis, it's good that people have a place to debate stuff. And it's bad that there's misinformation. I think you take out the bots, you take out the brigading, and people can debate it on its merits. As long as people don't get personal attacks. I don't know. I kind of feel like one of the problems here. I think we keep acting like free speech is like people yelling at each other. But in fact, it's like mobilizing to, you know, kill ethnic minorities in Burma. Like there are so well, many yeah, real. It's a whole different level. But I'm talking it about is a debating. whole different level. And it's naive for him to say that free speech is about like, oh, no, someone you disagree with might disagree with you. That's mm. not 
what content moderation actually is yeah, about. So that's so content moderation is exactly where it's going. I think it's a, it's a good turn for us to make because th- there's a lot at stake here. Obviously, there's a lot at stake here. There's a lot at stake. So we all agree on there's a lot at stake. Yeah. Then we agree there needs to be content moderation. It can't be a free for all. Okay. So agreement, agreement. Nobody disagrees. And then I think where we disagree, or where we'll see disagreements, I'm not saying you and I, where people start to disagree or, or mm-hmm. opinions diverge, is in how to implement moderation. And I think what we should do on this show, Molly, you and I, since we are so smart and pragmatic so and smart. insightful, and we've been around the block, is true. Let's just focus on the moderation piece. What should world class moderation be? Mm-hmm. Because what we have now, I'm sure everybody's got great intent, but it's not clear what's going on and there's a lot of mistrust going on and on both sides i think people are like why wasn't trump taken off earlier people are like why is trump taken off so putting aside whatever political party you're in more transparency whether it's on instagram tiktok or here i think is going to set us at least on a path to have an intelligent discussion so i've been thinking about the new york post banning a lot Mm -hmm. And I have my feelings about it. Uh, It's hard to separate how I personally feel about it because I do think Trump was inciting people insanely who are from authoritarian countries to hack Americans. It's like the most treasonous thing you could do in my mind. It's sociopathic to ask Putin or to lobby the Ukraine or North Korea or North Korea to hack. Like this is treason. Yeah. How anybody could support this is bonkers. But I'll put that aside because then people are going to say, oh, Jake, let's go Trump derangement syndrome. No, I have treason syndrome. Okay. I don't believe that we should support. I've been very consistent. It might be the Don Julio speaking that do not get in bed with dictators. Right. Because they're dictators. These yeah. are authoritarians. If you want to keep political power, win elections. Yeah. Let, let's, let's not enable dictators and encourage them to f- with the system. That's the best system ever created by humanity. Yes. Period. Full stop. Boom. So how should this work is something I want to dialogue with. So I think we should do is we should set a show and we should talk about maybe me and you or maybe me, you and one or two people who actually know like from the belly of the beast how moderation works. Mm-hmm. And we should get really specific instead of the general, the emotion. I propose we do an episode next week, maybe Wednesday or something. Give the producers a couple of days. And we just take the hardest cases and then say, what would be ways to do this better? Because when they mm-hmm. banned Trump, when they banned Trump, Jack was like, I wasn't involved. I was in Hawaii or something, right? Remember that? Yeah. And then Which, they were. Bless. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think we need to get the This Week in Startups Kauai house up and running. No, I yeah. just mean bless. Like I wasn't involved in that. I was in Hawaii. I was the CEO, but you know, no, okay. no wonder mm-hmm. everybody was trying to boot you. Leader but of the yes. free world's band and okay. I didn't have anything to do with it. Okay. But I mean, listen, mm-hmm. I think that was like, I understand. I also do appreciate. It's been crazy time. A neutral too. third party or trying to have a neutral board do it like Zuck did, right? Like this idea of the, what do they call that? Board? Yeah. The advisory board, the advisory board, whatever mm-hmm. that advisory board. Was. I thought that was actually kind of had some merit. And he was kind of trying Not to Not a terrible idea. He paid, a, you know, there were like too many disincentives for them. But yes, I agree. Like, yeah, figure like out. they paid by Zuck. <laughs> they, yeah, I mean, they were paid by, I know somebody who turned down one of those offers because oh, she was like, there is really no universe more. in which that's independent. Like, yeah, that's not more. at all. Or, I mean, a super well-respected lawyer. Like, they were really courting her hard and huh. trying to get her on that board. And she was like, that is not uh, Which is probably why 
the which is probably why their eventual handicapping of the situation with specifically regards to Trump was like, you guys should make a better decision. And it was like, what the f right. is happening? They just, just booted it right back. You for it. The like, board was like, way, this no. potato is really hot. You take it. I, I like, don't want it. I don't like this potato. I paid you to break open the potato, put some sour cream in there, mix it up and make it taste better. Like, I would love, like, I don't know if you've been watching Yishan Wong's tweets about this. He is was formerly the CEO of Reddit. Yeah, so bring Ishan on. Bring Ishan Ishan on. Ishan. If you're everybody Ishan, in the Nodi gang. Plus he's doing Ishan. climate tech now, which is awesome. But like, there is no other, there's nothing harder to moderate than Reddit. Yeah. And they- Right? And he was like, yeah. people, they, and it's been very, I think, measured because he's like, you think this is going to happen. And then this happens. And it's just is really a very measured look at yeah. how moderation gets out of hand. All right. For next Wednesday show, here's what I want. Uh, give me the top seven producers and nobody's can help by emailing producers at this week's service. The top seven actual real world banning, censorings, however you want to phrase it, but let's call it moderation actions that have occurred on Twitter or Facebook. Fair enough? That were like controversial, I mean, or like notable? Hardest. Notable, like big hardest. Cha biggest change. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like the ones that are challenging, the, the yeah. most controversial, the hardest, the biggest, all of those apply. It's seven, so some of them could be the biggest. Trump comes to mind. Mm -hmm. Some of them could be the most controversial. New York Post comes to mind. I don't know what the other ones are. Alex Jones. Yeah. Let's just get seven of them. And let's walk through seven minutes each, how you would frame that, how Molly would think about it, how J. Cal would think about it. I'm talking myself in the third person because I had two Holios. That's way above my limit. <laughs> I just got to drive and pick up my kids for school. I'll be all right back. <laughs> no, J. Cal, don't do that. I think this would be like a better way to do this. I'm tired this. of the emotional back and forth. I yeah. want facts. I want specific cases. Judge Molly, Judge J. Cal. We're just going to go through and give our verdicts. And then we yeah. can do it uh, like the Supreme Court. You give your statement. I give my statement. I give my verdict. You give your verdict. And then we have a vote. Maybe Yashir will play along. And then we'll have three votes. And we'll just see if we hit two out of three, three out of three. Maybe this isn't as complicated as people are making it out to hmm. be. I, I think it might be, but I'm also game to try. Let's try. Let's yeah. do specifics. Why not? Right. Are we done with this show? Because smart. I think we are. I think uh, we've given everybody a two and a half hour episode. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Of Don Julio Don time. Julio. I love it. A little Don Julio time. I mean, the second one hits different. It really does. Mm. Hey, everyone. Producer Nick here. I want to tell you about the SaaS syndicate. If you're a founder of a SaaS company with a product and market, our investment team wants to talk to you. Head over to thesyndicate.com slash SaaS, S-A-A-S, to apply to raise from the SaaS syndicate. And you can join Jason's syndicate of over 9,000 accredited investors at thesyndicate.com. Producer Justin here. No cool startup? Check out OpenScouting.com, where anyone can refer a startup to our investment team here at launch. Even if you don't know the founder, if you're the first to flag a company for us and we decide to invest, you'll get 5K in cash or 10% of our carry. Hey, everybody. Producer Rachel here. Are you an early stage startup that has product and market, some traction, and are looking to raise at least $500,000? Apply today to Remote Demo Day for your chance to pitch to over 9,000 investors in Jason's syndicate. Submit your application at Remote Demo Day. Com. Our next event is on April 27th. And if you want to learn how to invest in startups from the world's greatest angel investor, and no, we're not talking about Chris Saka, then head to angel.university to apply. The four-hour workshop costs $300 and all proceeds are donated to charity. 
To date, we've donated over $175,000 to various charities, and you can see the full list at angel.university slash charity. 